Praise the Lord. We've been talking about perseverance. We talked about Joseph for a few weeks. Okay, it was once a, once a month for a couple months. And last month, we started talking about David, who kept a heart of hope while he was waiting. A heart of hope. That's how he was getting through his time of waiting. And today we're going to look at another characteristic of David's heart. And then November and December, there'll be one more Bible character that we'll talk about perseverance and we'll end that series. Okay. See, I'm a little subdued because a boy in the back started recording these. Yeah, and they go on Spotify. So now I'm stopping and thinking about every single thing I say. Well, I don't ever talk about anybody, but I'm just saying. Makes me, makes me nervous. Okay. This part of our study is based on chapters 23 to 26 of 1 Samuel. And all kinds of good stuff out there about David, of course. We remember that as a young boy, he attended the sheep. He was anointed to be the next king of Israel. While he was in his teens, he became a national sensation by killing Goliath. He was employed by the king to appear periodically in the palace to soothe him with his skillful harp playing. Bless their hearts. I mean, I like a nice harp in the right... But it's not, definitely not the thing I want to just sit to and listen to relax to. So mm. I'm sure it was the height of cool at the time. But um, <clears throat> during this time, too, Saul's son Jonathan becomes David's closest friend. Because of David's continual military victories, Saul starts getting jealous over David's popularity. Saul openly seeks to kill David and begins that 13-year period of time where he's on the run. So we find in chapters 23 to 26, we find David and his band of 600 men living in the wilderness and the strongholds of En Gedi. That's a cool name. I like that name, En Gedi, a town. It was a town east of Hebron on the shores of the Dead Sea. That one I can get behind. I mean, some of the names in the book I'm like, forget it. I wouldn't write that on a postal, but, you know, but in Getty, it kind of has a cool sound to it. Um, there, it's a place that had a lot of caves in limestone cliffs, some lush vegetation, freshwater springs, waterfalls. The caves gave them some natural refuge, places to hide, and provided lookout spots so somebody could watch, you know, see if enemy was coming or what was happening around them. And we know that Saul was committed to killing David and was just ardently pursuing him. It was just a constant pursuit. Imagine if Saul had put that much energy into pursuing the will of God and following God. Israel would have been completely different. But boy, he put the energy into trying to kill David. In the first... 
19 verses of 1 Samuel. Do I have it? Yes, I do. I can, I can read this. If you have it, you can follow along. 1 Samuel 23, verses 1 through 19. Then they told David, saying, Behold, the Philistines fight against Kilah, and they rob the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and smite these Philistines? And the Lord said unto David, Go and smite the Philistines and save Kilah. And David's men said unto him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we come to Kilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord yet again. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Kilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into thine hand. So David and his men went to Kilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their cattle and smote them with a great slaughter. Those are some of my favorite verses. I mean, not, it's not about the violence, but the fact that, oh, he just is all about love and peace, and there's no judgment in him. Read the book. So David saved the inhabitants of Kilah. And it came to pass when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David to Kilah, that he came down with an ephod in his hand. And it was told Saul that David was come to Kilah, and Saul said, God hath delivered him into mine hand, for he is shut in by entering into a town that hath gates and bars. And Saul called all the people together to war, to go down to Kilah, to besiege David and his men. He was on a mission. And David knew that Saul secretly practiced mischief against him. And he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring hither the ephod. Then said David, O Lord God of Israel, another you know, inquiry. Thy servant hath certainly heard that Saul seeketh to come to Kilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Kilah deliver me up into his hand? Will Saul come down as thy servant hath heard? O Lord God of Israel, I beseech thee, tell thy servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. Then said David, will the men of Kilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they deliver thee up. Okay, so David's having like a real conversation here, okay? Now, I haven't had one of those with the Lord. I don't know, some of you may have, like a back and forth. Okay, he's having a serious conversation here. Then David and his men, which were about 600, arose and departed out of Kilah and went whithersoever they could go. And it was told Saul that David was escaped from Kilah, and he forbore to go forth. And David abode in the wilderness in strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God delivered him not into his hand. And David saw that Saul was, Saul was come out to seek his life, and David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a wood. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the wood and strengthened his hand in God. And he said unto him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee. And thou shalt be king over Israel, and I shall be next unto thee, and that also Saul my father knoweth. And they two made a covenant before the Lord, and David abode in the wood, and Jonathan went to his house. Then came up the Ziphites to Saul to Gibeah, saying, Doth not David hide himself with us in strongholds in the wood, in the hill of that place, which is on the south of 
that place. So, <clears throat> so here we are. David and his group were hiding in one place. Saul finds out, comes after him. God tells David, yeah, they're really coming. So they leave. They go run. They hide. Try to find another place. Now they're in Ziph. And he has this exchange with Jonathan. Jonathan's going to stand by his side. I think my favorite part of that whole thing is when Jonathan tells him, Fear not, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find thee, and thou shalt be king over Israel. I like that because he had been anointed king over Israel. So he's going to be king over Israel. We, it's like the guys that were in the ship. And Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Then there was the storm and they freak out. We're going to die. Except God had said, we're going to the other side. So the, yeah, you, it's going to happen. So our fear gets in the way. But then now he's hiding in Ziph. And the Ziphites are tattling to Saul. So every time something's come up here, David consistently, consistently goes to get direction from God. I'm not sure we're as consistent in some of that. I heard on the radio recently, it was one of those little ministry blurbs from some preacher. They, you know, play on the Christian radio stations. And they're talking about how we pray to God about big stuff. Should I buy this house? Should I buy this $40,000 car? No. Should I, you know, should I change my job? But we don't always pray about the smaller things that we think are just day-to-day living. And we probably should put more of that in his hands too. But David is consistently getting direction from God. But not only did he get direction from God, but when he gets it, he does it. He follows that instruction. We get all kinds of direction from God just in the word alone. We're not all real good doing it. Right? I'm there. Okay, we're not always real good at the doing part. So if you're going to be asking God for direction, don't do it with every intention of not following what he said. And be prepared for direction you don't like. Lord, I want to move to Southern Illinois. Stay where you are. Lord, I want to go to college somewhere else. Stay where you are. Lord, I'm going to take that job in St. Louis I've been offered. Stay where you are. Lord, over and over and over. 30 years. Lord, stay where you are. Okay? Don't ask if you don't want to follow the answer. Um, Because when you don't follow that direction, it gets you in all sorts of problems. And now you've brought those on yourself. Okay, that wasn't God did that to you, but you didn't follow the direction you asked for. Okay. So he always asks for instruction, direction, and he follows them. While he's waiting, right? He's supposed to be king. This is the time. He should be king. He's not being king because he's being chased. He's in this waiting period. And like we said last time, when you're in the waiting, you don't just sit and twiddle your thumbs. You act. You do things. You do what you know you're supposed to be doing while you're in that waiting. 
So this is one of those things. He asks for direction from God. He follows him. Now, the Ziphites said, said that they would help Saul trap David. The latter part of that passage and on into the next chapter. These guys, these people, they were descendants of Judah like David. And were supposed to be his brothers. Okay, they're all Judah guys, descendants of you. Instead, now they're spies for Saul. That's why when you read Psalms chapter 54, David wrote that while he's in this situation. He calls them strangers. Strangers are against me. Was these people that should have been his, his brothers, and they're against him. So while he's there, he tells us in that psalm that you can tell by what he writes, he's scared, and he's praying, and he's pleading with God to intervene. I mean, he uses some pretty strong pleading language. At least if you read it in the King James, I'm sure some of the other ones say he asked politely, but he was pleading with God to intervene in this situation. And while he's praying this and asking for this intervention from God, he is also remembering God's faithfulness. He remembers God's faithfulness, and he remembers that God has delivered him before. He brings that up specifically in Psalm 54. So he's not just, oh, Lord, do this for me. It's, Lord, I need you to intervene in this situation. I know that you are faithful. You've done this before for me in other situations. Okay. That wasn't because God needed to be reminded. Some of that is encouraging himself in the Lord. The Bible says we're supposed to encourage ourselves in the Lord. So he's in this time of waiting, and he's, is it ever going to end? And why? Why can't I just be king? Why is somebody trying to kill me? But here I am. I'm doing what I have to do. He's encouraging himself. He's, he's praying at the same time. He's saying, look, I remember you're faithful. I remember you deliver. And he says at the end of this Psalm 54, he says that he will give sacrifice and he will worship. Okay. Now, we know David well enough to know he was going to sacrifice and worship kind of no matter how this part turned out. David was a worshiper. David's been singing songs to God since he was a little boy. Okay? I'm not sure how good he was. I mean, I, would you ever like to hear a recording of how David might have sounded on the hillside with the sheep? Oh, well, I'm just saying... Many of us have been singing since we were children. It hasn't always been good. Okay? Some days it's been kind of scary. But he didn't, didn't matter. The only people who ever got to hear him were the sheep because there were no recording devices. The DeLorean didn't go back that far. And he was always a worshiper. So he's reminding God, I am going to give sacrifice and I am going to worship you. In the middle of the waiting... In the middle of, I'm being chased. In the middle of, the king of the country wants to kill me. Okay. This wasn't just the guy down the block, right? He's being chased by the king of the country. So this is how he responds. Conversely, if you look in 1 Samuel chapter 13, we see a story about Saul. How he only partially obeyed God's direction. God gave him some direction. He only did part of it, okay? And then, not only did he only do part of it, 
but he justified himself. Well, this was why I did that, and this was the right thing to do, blah, 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 blah. And he, in his mind, his idea was better, okay? So we've got David, who's in the middle of crisis and long-term waiting, and he's hearing the word of God, and he's obeying the word of God. We've got Saul, who's king. He's not waiting anymore. He's king. He was crowned. He's king. And he started out pretty good. But then he starts not doing everything God told him. As a result, he's now trying to kill the guy to replace him. Okay? He's, he knows he's being pushed out. He knows, let's face it, he knew he messed up. But I don't see anything in there where he repented and tried to change his life and go back and fix things and all that. Later on in life, I mean, this is the beginning of David. We see the same thing, though, in David all along. When he does mess up, he repents of it. He fixes it. Saul never really had that, that mind. So you have to ask yourself, when you're in your time of waiting or wondering, are you going to be like David? Or are you going to be like Saul? Are you going to be like David? Hear the word of God and do it. Consequences. Out, you know, in spite of the consequences, do it. Or are you going to be like Saul? Hear the word of God. Well, do a little bit of it. And then make excuses for the rest of it and never fix it. Never come back and fix it. So we get on, when we start looking in uh, chapter 24, verses 1 through 7, we see a situation where opportunity comes. Okay? Verses 1 through 3, Saul is on his way to kill David. David's men, there are about 600 of them, and David heard he's coming. David knows he's coming, and his men, these 600 men, are, man, you, this is your chance. You can kill him. You can take care of business now. You can spear him and be done. This is your opportunity. But David doesn't do that. He doesn't do that. Instead, it tells us that he cut off a piece of his garment. And he only took that and told them that they could not kill Saul. He had an opportunity when you, it's fun when you read some of the, the different versions of the Bible, reading this stuff. When you read it in the King James Version, I don't think it's quite as clear. David's kind of in the restroom. I mean, Saul's in the restroom, right? He maybe, or he's somewhere private. He's in a vulnerable place, and David has opportunity to kill him. Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. When you read some of those other versions, they get out there, they're, it's pretty funny. Fortunately, the King James Bible doesn't go there. But he, so I'm picturing in my head, right, the stalls in the bathroom at work. You know what I mean. You know how they, they or if you're at the campgrounds, the stall starts here, right? It's like way high. Um, you always like those restrooms you can find, you find those certain places where they have full doors all the way to the floor, and you're like, I'm coming back here just to use your restroom. <clears throat> Hello, Spotify. So 
he's vulnerable is the point. He's vulnerable. David could have killed him with no problem. Logistically. Okay, of course it would have been a problem, but he could logistically have killed him. But he doesn't. All right, he just, I don't know. How do you not notice that someone has reached in and cut off part of your robes? How do you not notice that? <laughs> Reading the paper or <laughs> playing Sudoku or something. On it. Yeah, I don't know. Somehow he doesn't notice. And so he's able to restrain himself from killing Saul. Now, he didn't res- resist all the temptation because he could have just walked away. But it was like, nah, 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 nah. look. Got a piece of your robe. Look what I could have done. Really kind of, you know, trying to not kill him, but maybe, you know, hurt him a little bit. You know, make him scared, make him worried. Um, It may have felt good at the moment, but it didn't really fix anything, right? David knew he was anointed for a special purpose, it was obvious to everyone that he would be the next king. And this was his opportunity to kill Saul and take the throne. He's the rightful leader. That's, that's man's thinking. Okay. Um, this is similar to how Christ was tempted in the wilderness. Matthew 4, 8 to 10. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. He, had, he was tempted for an opportunity. Okay. Here's the thing. Satan is giving Jesus the opportunity to... Get all the kingdoms of the world. What's the problem with that? He already has all the kingdoms of the world, right? He's already the king. So Satan was just trying to tempt him to do something he didn't need to do. David is already anointed to be king. So taking this into his own hands and killing Saul was unnecessary and probably would have destroyed his his opportunity to be king. The Bible is a real book. And we see here an opportunity for vengeance. An opportunity for vengeance. Right? David had opportunity for vengeance, but he didn't take it. Now Saul, later in verses 8 to 22, David actually, when you read through it, what he's saying in plain English is, you can still try to kill me, but I'm not going to lay a hand on you. Was the gist of what what's said there. I'm not going to I'm not going to kill you. You can keep coming at me, but I'm not going to kill you. And Saul acknowledges that David will be king. He acknowledges it. He says I'm going to spare. I'm going to I'm going to. I know you're going to be king. All I ask is that you don't get rid of my family line and and remove my name. Okay, that's all I ask. I'm I, I acknowledge you're going to be king. Unfortunately, 
Saul goes back on his word, as we know. That desire for revenge, for vengeance, was too strong for him. We learned something similar in Joseph's life. He had opportunities to bring vengeance, and he didn't. He let step back and let God handle all that, just like David let God handle Saul. Uh, we know later in 1 Samuel 26, 5 to 12, that Saul had reneged on his promise. He goes after David again, and Abishai, David's nephew, you know, he wants David to kill him now. Here's another chance. Everybody wants David to kill Saul every time you turn around. It reminds me of Job. You know, just give up and die, whatever. Um, again, David says, the Lord forbid that I stretch out my hand. God hadn't told him it was okay for him to kill David, so he's not going to do it. We see in this, op- in this time another chance where David is the honorable one. And Saul, who pretends to be honorable, turns back against it. We don't always get an opportunity to confront situations like that. When you read in Colossians 3, 12 to 13, it tells us when you've got a problem with somebody, now, not the person who's trying to kill you. There's nobody in this room who's got somebody trying to kill them. Do you? (laughs) Well, okay. Wives don't count. Okay. Wives don't count. But we have other situations where somebody's been a get, come against us. Situations have come against us. We want vengeance. We want to make it right. And we don't always have opportunity for confrontation, but the, the Bible gives us the way we should approach these things in Colossians. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. That's us. The elect of God. The sons of God, okay? Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now, David hasn't had the example of Jesus Christ dying on a cross, right? He hasn't seen that no greater love has a man than he laid down his life for a friend. He hasn't seen that because that happens so much later. But he's still following the heart of God. I'm, I haven't been given the approval to kill this man, so I have to keep, keep my humble. I have to show mercy. I can't kill him just because he made himself vulnerable in that moment. Another thing that we see that helped David persevere was the support of friends the support of friends. God gave David the gift of a friend in Saul's son, Jonathan. We've seen where Jonathan warns Saul, or warns David that Saul's coming. You know, my dad's going to come try to kill you. Don't worry, it's not going to work. You're still going to be king. Jonathan sacrificed his own time with David uh, when he gave him the message that he had to leave the king's house. He could have kept David there. They could have been, you know, spent more time together. But he knew David needed to go. When David was hiding in the wilderness, he came, encouraged him in the Lord. Not only Jonathan, but God also sent prophets to give David direction about where to go next. David's family came to him in the cave to be with him, but then he had to hide his parents by taking them to Moab. And then God sent him strong 
noble, faithful men. David's mighty men. They say in 1 Chronicles 12, 12, 18, We are yours, O David. We are with you, O son of Jesse. Success, success to you, and success to those who help you. For your God will help you. They're not saying, O king, live forever, right? At this point, they're still just friends with the man, David. If you're surrounded by godly people who God sends to support you, that is like being supported by the army of God. He works through people to support us. When you are persevering, whatever your waiting situation is, um, waiting on an answer, maybe nothing's wrong right now, but you're waiting on an answer, it seems like it's never coming. Or your waiting is, I'm waiting on something, and in the midst of it, I'm in trouble, I'm in pain, I'm sick, or I'm in financial situation, or... Sometimes while we're in waiting, we're just waiting. And sometimes while we're waiting, we're in trouble while we're waiting. Either way, God sends us people who will support us. God does not intend for us to live life alone. Surround yourself with other Christians who love the Lord. Then when crisis hits, don't quit church. Don't quit Bible study. Don't quit fellowshipping with your small group. Don't pull back from the support God can give to you through people. Share your need with those who love the Lord and who will put a skip in your step. Now, be wise. Sharing your need with the Lord doesn't mean everybody needs to know all the down and dirty and nitty-gritty. Okay, having said that, I do need to say, when you're in your prayer tonight and tomorrow, please remember the name James. James. One of my staff emailed me yesterday and said, hey, this isn't about work. It was a pretty lengthy email. This isn't about work, but my husband has a friend named James. And this has happened, and this has happened, and now a parent has just passed away yesterday. And we're worried about him mentally. We're worried about him physically. We're worried something's going to happen to him or he's going to make something happen to him. He's in a really bad place. And so we're going to need prayer warriors, so I, I decided to email you. I said, okay. So... I don't know what the man's last name is, and that's fine. But put James on your list, too, because I told her, I said, I'll be praying for him, and I'll also put his name, just his name, out for prayer that God will lift up and fix in that situation. He gives us people who will support, who will encourage. David knew how to encourage himself in the Lord. We saw that, okay, when he's praying and he's pleading for God to intervene. He's also encouraging himself. I remember you've been faithful. I remember when you've delivered. He was encouraging himself. But he also had all of this other human encouragement that God had sent. Avoid anyone who uses you up or encourages you to complain or encourages you to anger against God. Avoid those people. They suck the joy right out of you. Just say no. If you're leader of a work team or a family or a small group, make sure you're asking God to surround you with people who will give your leadership support, strong support like David's. Don't just sit there and twiddle your thumbs and say, oh, I wonder if anybody's going to support me. I wish. No. Pray it. Lord, I need support. I need people that will 
if they're not going to be a part of this ministry or whatever it is I'm doing, maybe they will come up beside me and, and be an encourager to me or something like that. Pray about it. We can have hope like David did during his time of waiting. But while we're there, while we're there, we have to ask for instruction, follow the instruction, let God handle the vengeance. One of my favorite sayings has always been, um, what's that scripture um, about vengeance? Yeah, yeah, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. And then I would always say, and, and he might just use me as his instrument. That's actually not true, okay? It's really not true. He won't use you as his instrument to bring vengeance for you. Okay, because that's bad for you. You would be responsible for something bad happening to somebody. Okay, it's a fun thing to say, but it's not true. Don't do it. Don't, don't do it. Let God do the vengeance while you're in the waiting. Now, eventually, David's going to be king. If Saul had still been alive, he could have put him in prison. He could have done all sorts of things to Saul once he was king. But God took that out of the equation. David didn't have to worry about uh, policing Saul, right? He didn't have to worry about bringing judgment on Saul. It's done. And hold on to the support. Hold on to your Christian, God-fearing, God-loving supporters to get you through so you can persevere. So we've seen Joseph persevere. We've seen David persevere. And guys, you know, Saul did some horrible things to David. I mean, there was killing, there was maiming, there was children hurt. I mean, a whole village taken. I mean, he did some horrible stuff. But he had that little piece of his garment. Look what I could do. Now, if Saul had been smart, he'd have take, taken his little, took us back to the palace and just waited for God to bring judgment. But no, no, he didn't know how to persevere. I'm not sure which one of, there's three others in the study. I'm not sure which one I'm going to go with. But uh, I'll let you know the third week of November who we're doing the last two perseverance studies on. Okay? If you're in the middle of something and you're persevering, keep going. Keep moving. All right?